0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sober Town Podcast. I am King 13, and today I am aboard the Sober Train where I'm going to take you into a wonderful ride of sobriety with my very, very special guest. But first, I want to give a shout out to our website, SoberTownPodcast.com. Um, if you go there, listeners, what you'll find it's a complete resource. It's like a one stop shop of people's stories with their podcasts. There is educational and motivational material. We have blogs, we have resources, we have links, we have photos. Um, It's a fantastic website and I wish I had something like this when I certainly began. And uh, yeah, as I said, it's sobertownpodcast.com. Now I'm going to get on to my very special guest here today. She's a dear friend of mine who's been very influential in my journey of sobriety and she's all the way from Norway, and her name is Lisa Fiona.
1: How are you? Hello. Hello, Debs. This is um, a great pleasure. Thank you a, for having it's me. It's
0: a pleasure for me, too. And all the way across the world, it's so lovely that you joined me here on the train today. So for our listeners, what we're going to do is, please, you know, the floor's your. yours. Just tell us a little bit about where Lisa Fiona's story, Carrie, uh, sort of came from.
1: Yeah, I will I will go back to the start. That was that was what you meant, huh? Yeah. Start yeah. My, yeah. Well I started uh experimenting with my father's cupboard with uh with uh what, what do you call it in English? Bar cupboard or something? Yeah, Where just, all the liquors yeah and he was like a a cupboard, yeah. Yeah, he was a dentist, so we had. He had this uh, dentist liquor, which was 96% liquor. Very, very strong. And uh, I don't, when I think about this today, I don't get it. Why did he have that on the floor? Because it was, you know, I had two siblings which were really just toddlers at the time. And then it was me, naughty me, who experimented and stole Mm his 96% uh, liquor, which I measured. Uh, in a, I don't know, measure cup or something. And then I took, I boiled water with sugar to replace it. I don't know. I don't know where I got that idea. I don't, don't ask. I don't think, we didn't have Google. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that was a wild thing. And I served it to my uh, closest friends. We would put one Small cork or what you call it from uh, from the top of the, yeah, the the bottle, very very little, of course, because this was really you know dangerous stuff uh, in a cup of tea and then tea and then raisins and lemon and sugar, and then we will drink it hot, you know like a hot cup of tea with a bit a little bit of ninety six percent of alcohol. That was what we did, and that was quite innocent. We never got drunk on this. We just tasted it because this was what my mother served in my home to the guests that uh, came to visit. It was called grog, uh, and it was sort of a a Swiss thing from Switzerland, or maybe mm-hmm. German, or something like that, or Austria, or from Austria. So that was the beginning, and then. I don't think I can't remember that I stole anything else that this uh, this liquor, and I can't remember that we drank it in other, in uh, in another way. So I didn't know another way to to drink it. I can think of many ways today, but then I didn't know. <laughs> so that was quite innocent, but it mm. it was the start. And then uh, I think I started to drink beer for one one reason or another. And we had these large bottles of beer when I was um, young. I was probably 15 then. And uh, we would drink on all these, uh, I would do, I would uh, sail at the time. So we had all these sailing competitions. And after the sailing competitions, we would have a party and we would drink. And uh, we, we couldn't get into the to the to any clubs or anything because we were so young so we were drinking outside of these uh uh yeah this party where there was a, a sailing party and then we we would go in i don't understand how they could let us in when we had been drinking outside but well that was a problem because uh no one could you know uh Manage their drinking. We would always drink too much and get sick, and everything. That's how I remember it, anyway. And uh, I can't really remember so many details from my from my youth, but I'm sure that alcohol was uh, part of it every weekend. Not 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 daily, but every weekend uh, we went to parties. I even had a lot of parties in my house my mother was always at home so I had this beautiful um, uh, big room that she built for me after she got divorced from my father and we moved to to this house that she built and she thought that I needed a big room because I was a teenager and she wanted me to have all the friends in the house so so that she could be there and be a supervisor or whatever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I don't think that the drinking was you know, totally out of control, because everyone knew that she was there, she was sitting in the living room, and every time they had to go to the toilet, they had to go past her, and she would invite them in, and talk to them, and my friends, that is, and I was also, you know, so it was, it was quite uh, innocent, not, not really, really bad at that time, until I started on the what you call high school, and we called uh, gymnasium that, at that time, when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Then I think the drinking was more 16, 17, 18. So it developed. And it, that, that was also because I met new people, there there were more partying, uh, not the innocent thing that I have, more like, well, yeah, you know, and when and when I started after the gymnasium when I started I studied law and uh, as a student, we partied a lot we were mm. we would hang together with the uh, economic students and we were always there was a lot of drinking all the time so um, I think that was just uh, it was it was never in the it was never in the weekdays and I don't know I was not in a gang that would drink every day some of the people would smoke as a hush or marijuana but the drinking was more uh, in the weekends but sometimes very heavily and uh, I think uh, more and more after I was finished with uh, law school it I got married, and I uh, I I got I very quickly got pregnant, so I had to stop the mm-hmm. drinking. So I never I didn't drink when I had these pregnancy three pregnancy, but they were very far apart. As I got my first child, um, just straight after I met my ex husband, and um, I didn't drink as long as I was pregnant and breastfeeding. But then I started again. Uh, My husband was not a really big drinker. He would drink wine, but it was really rare. And there was only just one glass or two glasses, you know, a night. I would take a glass with him. And I can remember that when I was, if I was not going to work, that would be when um, I was still home with the, with my first child or the next child, but not breastfeeding. I would drink, you know, a, a glass of wine with him, but then I would drink more after he had, you know, finished his drinking. So I would drink always a little bit more than him. And um, in the weekends uh, I would drink really, yeah, a lot of wine. So it, I think it developed very slowly and uh, we were married or living together for 18 years, partly marriage, 10, 10 years of marriage and then eight years where we were just uh, yeah. married before we had, were living together eight years. So in, in this time we had um, three kids and uh, as I said, I didn't drink when I was pregnant or breastfeeding, but afterwards. But I think my drinking really um, developed after I got divorced. After the eighteen years, we had a, we didn't have a good divorce. It was terrible, it was really terrible, and I was so stressed because I I, I nearly lost my, uh, I, um, I bought a house and it was really difficult to keep the house because we were. Fighting on this alimony, or what do you call it? Alimony, yeah, yeah, Yeah. for the children. And um, I couldn't afford to pay anything. And he was really a a very, very rich man, so he could pay. But his lawyers made a a loan out, out of his, yeah, big you know, all these millions he had. So it looked like he didn't have any money. So I was the one that had to pay him. So I almost lost my house. And it was just so much stress. So I can remember that time that I, I were talking to all these um, uh, people that I or these companies that I all money to you know the electricity bills and everything. Every I will I would spend a week talking to them to the divide the uh, the bills so that I could manage. And then when the weekend came, I was so exhausted to both working mm-hmm. as a as a lawyer and then also to, uh, three kids and all these bills and almost losing the house all the time, or at least I thought so, that I wouldn't manage. So when the weekend came, I was just thinking, I need a break. I just need a break. I just need to think about something else. I need to have fun. I want to dance. I want to drink. I want to get just wasted so that I can forget about all this and then pick up the thing Monday morning and try to phone all these uh, creditors again to get these bills fixed and everything. So that was my life for a very long time. And I think I just drank more and more, but it didn't affect my work. I couldn't drink during the week. But sometimes mm. as a lawyer I had these big cases that I, you know, they could go from Monday to Thursday. And then when I was finished with the case and I I I was my own boss so I could just you know take the next day off and then uh, because of the this way of working was so stressful because you get when you are in the courtroom you get really high on the dopamine and the adrenaline and so on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so to to get myself down again i just went out i was just talking to the other colleagues do you have are you do you have one day off can we go to a bar so we went to bars so and we were drinking so that was a, a very you know on un- what is it it was not a later when i quit my lawyer job and went to the state again it was more even working like a, you know more balance you...
0: hmm? more balance
1: yeah more balance like from eight to four or nine to five mm. but as a lawyer, it was just like a, a curve yeah. up and down. It's like the sobriety sheen yeah. at Chef 56. So, <laughs> yeah, this was my, this was my <laughs> working day. It was terrible.
0: All over the place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: all over the place. And getting really stressed and drinking because of uh, to get balance my feelings and everything. So, yeah, that was uh, a lot. And um, uh, I got. Two sick children. Uh, First one, sick child, she got diabetes when she was uh, 12. I was still married then. And then I got divorced just uh, a few years after that. And then my son got, my middle one, got also diabetes one. And then I was alone with these two and the youngest one that was four, four years old when we divorced. Mm. So when my my middle son got this uh, disease, I was thinking, oh no, my God, I can't be a lawyer anymore because I have to go uh, from my practice and get him from school if he was high or low in sugar and uh, in his blood sugar. And my daughter had a very sensitive kind of diabetes. So I was was just thinking, no, I can't do this anymore. I can't be my own... um, or have this lawyer practice I, I couldn't cope so I had to leave leave that and uh, got myself a job in the states because that's more secure in Norway you can get mm. you can get there's something called vacation and you get there's money benefits. for vacation yeah 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 <laughs> I never had a vacation when I was a lawyer no. but when, but in the states there, there is and there's also yeah. sick leave if, if your children are sick so there was a uh, security that that uh, did that that i i got into this uh, uh, and then i could not drink as i had done because as a lawyer as i told you it was like the you mm. know the chef shows us all the time with sobriety <laughs> thing <laughs> and then i had to really straighten myself up and it was so hard because i was used to do exactly what i wanted to do if i didn't couldn't go to work if i was tired or yeah i would i would uh you know i would take a day, day off and drink not during the day but i mean during the night and then um this i remember this period uh, as a very hard period to adjust to this uh, what we call the a4 life i don't know if you call it that but this is sheet of paper that's uh yeah. The yeah, standard A4, A4 paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we call it. A4 life. Very boring life. The same every day. You know, the same time <laughs> to work and the same thing you do at work and, and and so on and so. on. So that was difficult. So I can remember that I did drink during the week sometimes because I couldn't stand it. This A4 yeah. that was a le- like a tiny box that you were in, and I was not that person. Or it took really? me a long time to adjust, and then I did just, so I didn't drink it during the week anymore, but I drank so much in the weekends that I couldn't, I had all these blackouts and it started to get really terrible. And um, I couldn't hide it for, you know, my kids were now maybe 16 and 10 and uh, 16 plus six, also 22. And they would notice that Mama was not you know I wasn't sober when I got home from these things that I had you know my friends and so on so i I would be thinking many times that there's something something wrong. I have all these blackouts I had to stop this is terrible um but still i I didn't think of completely stopping I just thought I had to get this under control I just have to moderate Mm -hmm. but and I was I was reading different kind of books about moderation so I had totally forgotten about this moderation period but I did try and more or less more or less succeed but very often not succeed because I had this off switch it was it was not totally broken, but it was so broken that I couldn't really control it uh uh every time. And more often uh than not, I would get so these blackouts, you know. So and um, not maybe for the whole evening, but I would always wake up and I would think, oh, I have to, I have to phone my one of my friends and ask, did I say something? Did I do something? this was more and more the rule and it was it was just you know a walk of shame so i think that um, what what uh, what did it for me that i finally when the kids had moved i didn't stop i i just continue this way and i thought i didn't have a big enough problem i thought it was i thought it was okay since Many of my friends also drank with me in the weekends. Right, right. So I thought that we were okay, but it wasn't really. So it took a long time before I realized that this is not going to work anymore. So I got, I, I talked to my daughter, do- no, my doctor, and she referred me to a, a day uh, treatment thing. So like
0: an outpatient where you went for treatment, yeah. but you were living at home. Yeah.
1: Yeah so the, and this was uh, this was not a private thing I think I think it was part of the health uh, thing in Norway I can't really right. remember so many years ago <clears throat> and I got a couple of hours there but then uh, I think uh the second hour I was there the second session I came to this uh, man which I thought was not getting it at all getting my problem he just said I think this has to be our last session because I need to help the people who really need help. (laughs) And I was so uh, disappointed because I was thinking Mm. that I need to stop now because otherwise it would be too difficult for me to stop. And I thought that he should be able to see that. So what I did was to continue the same the same way i tried to uh, do what he and me was uh, agreeing about but it, it was you know how it goes it's not moderation is not um if i could moderate i you know i wouldn't be had have all these blackouts so it was only one thing really and i should have understood it many years ago so it took it took me some time yes i can sure also i mean from fifteen years to I'm only six months sober. So uh that's a lot of years. Yeah, Scaring. and if we
0: could moderate, we wouldn't be here, would we? We would just be no, normal we wouldn't. people. No.
1: <laughs> no. So so I when I when I finally got it that I had to stop, I think it was a few incidents. I one that I uh a woman I knew many, many years ago, but we separated, we we parted way, our ways. We were very, very close, but she was drinking more heavily than I was th- at that time. So we had to part because of the alcohol. That was really a sad thing. And then I hadn't had contact with her the last 15 years and she died in September. And I think it was an alcohol-related thing. Mm. It was very Mm. acute and she, yeah, I'm sure it was because I was talking to someone who knew. And then I also had a vacation with a good friend of mine and um, I saw her drinking every day what it was. And uh, I thought to myself, this is is, uh, the way I'm going to drink very soon if I continue and it scared me so much these two incidents so that was my what do you call it rock bottom yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: everybody has their own rock bottom it doesn't mean that you have to lose everything
0: that's right that's exactly right
1: yeah this was scary enough for me that I yeah this was my rock bottom I'm sure of it so I started to read and I read Alan Carr's book and after yep. I read it I I read it because I was thinking that I have to get control over my own drinking again mm-hmm. I thought this talk yep. silly yep. talk yep. but when I have finished when I had finished my this book I was just thinking no I have to stop all this rubbish that we have heard about alcohol all my life this is totally fake this is just you know fake news <laughs> so i was just thinking finally i understand this why haven't i understood this before i was, <laughs> I was quite uh, pissed off really mm-hmm. uh and mm-hmm. myself of course but um, that's the truth i didn't i hadn't understood it before so that was the right timing for me i think because these two incidents in this book and then afterwards it didn't take me long to find Annie Grace's book and Craig Back. I think Craig Back before Annie Grace, but I got to these two uh, people because Alan Alan Carr is dead. I tried to get in contact Mm. with his firm to see if they could offer something more. And uh, uh, despite the COVID, I was just thinking maybe they had something online or something, but then I found Craig Back and Annie Grace. And, you know, I took this, his Craig Back's course And uh, that was also totally the same that Alan Carr. It was just a copy, I think, but it was good. (laughs) It's more modern, more up-to-date. And then in the grace, the same, like Alan Carr's uh, method, but more up-to-date and more, you know, much more. The, The alcohol experiment, it was just, it was so good. It just convinced me and cemented the thing that I had read in Alan Carr's book so I really got a mind my mindset shifted and I was so happy about that because I know that if it hadn't shifted I would have you know started to drink again very quickly after that I think Mm -hmm. because it was so difficult with all these social events that I had been booked into that I had to go to family events that I couldn't say no to and other things. Uh, that was the summer of when was that? That was the summer. It, the COVID was not so bad then, so we had a lot of social events in Norway. We we didn't we were we were not totally locked down. It was starting to open up. It, that was twenty twenty. Right. So I was um, that autumn. I was in several uh, social things. And I wasn't prepared. So when I came with my non-alcoholic bottle <laughs> and I offered my, me wine, I just didn't manage to say no. Even though I didn't want it in the, in the beginning. And then I realized when we came to Christmas or November, my father died in November. So I had a, a difficult time uh, around his death. We we had a really difficult relationship, so I I struggled a lot. I did. I said to myself, "Don't drink," because that'd be ten times worse. Yeah. But I did drink a little bit around his sitting on his bedside, and my sister would come and offer me me a glass of wine, and I wasn't able to say no. But luckily, it was not so much. It was. Maybe half a bottle of wine one night, and then because I thought I had to be sober, taking care of my my father's uh, wife. And um, but I did drink. I think maybe six or seven times during that time. It, it was. It was. You you could say that I I managed to moderate. That that's one way of looking at it. But I re- I realized in the end of that period, which was a six month period, that I was on my way back to my old patterns.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So and and luckily my mindset was still there. Then I read I think I read Alan Carr's book once more, and I took the the alcoholic experiment, uh, the one that you pay for. Yeah. Because there's one free and there's one you pay for. And it's almost the same, but a little bit more with the with community and so on. And then I was back on track again. So I just had to convince myself or be more secure about how to explain this to people, how to come out. Because all this was about shame. I was so shameful mm-hmm. to go to my nearest friends and to my sister and to... My cousin, who I always drank with, and she had this uh, communion. Uh, I'm a Catholic and and uh, we have this communion when you are 13 that all Catholics know about. So I had to go to Oslo and, and join this uh, very nice uh, ceremony with my cousin's son. Uh, that was the one that went to this communion thing. And I couldn't even then uh, say no thank you to the mm-hmm. So that was in the end of my six months of uh, relapse. That was six, seven relapses. And um, when I finally, finally, finally um, got convinced that, I, or or got myself together, and uh, uh, read these books again and took this uh, course one more time then it was much easier. Then I didn't have any more, you know, the relapses just, you know, there was no more relapses. Or, you know, uh, as so far today, I don't know what will happen in the future. I'm I'm afraid that I will change my mind. I'm just really afraid that I will think, oh my God, I can probably have one now, but I I won't, I think, because I know, because of this experience that this is not going to work. I have so deep, uh, I look at this uh, at motorways in my brain, really broad things yeah. that if I I I could go many years and maybe pick up a drink and it would be the same. I could never drink again uh, because it's broken. The, the The off switch will not be repaired.
0: Mm-hmm. Not for a long time, it, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, it will. I think it will never be repaired. I've heard people mm. go ten years, fifteen years, and then suddenly yeah. think that they could drink again. Oh yeah,
0: no, that. yeah sorry, I'm talking about the yeah. neural pathways. Yeah, they'll plug back in, but the off switch, right, will never change. I'm, yeah,
1: and I think the neural. Gone, gone. I think the pathways will also be there. It's just that I'm working on other on other yeah. pathways. I'm building other pathways. Correct. They all one They all motorways they will be there forever
0: no the new ones yeah the new ones need to be built you're right yeah yeah so so
1: so i think that uh, when people say that oh i'm just thinking now i've been so many months sober i could have just have one i think that's that's not um then you have then then if i got this thought if i if i if i will get this thought i hope i will remember that it's not true you can't i can't do that because i will have this i will have this pathway I will, it will not be it's not that if you shift the old pathways will new they are side by side
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's why you can't do it because you, your brain will remember, will always remember. I can wait till I'm 90 years old. It will still remember.
0: Right, right.
1: So I will not uh, do that consciously. Um, maybe on my deathbed, but why should I? Why should I drink poison? I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know a single thing that alcohol will do for me that is positive. I can't name anything. You can ask
0: me,
1: you me. could you could ask me but I would uh, I would uh, try to convince you that that's just rubbish. <laughs> not <all> even <laughs> uh, not even the social things. I I was at a, a social thing, a sober thing and yes. I was having a deep conversation with several people there and on my way to my car I would just a, a thought would pop in my, in my head and I was thinking, I can't drive. I'm tipsy. <laughs> There's something I have been drinking. That was a strange thought, but that was the good feeling I had when, you know, when, when you drink one glass of red wine, you get, you get this uh, tipsy feeling. The dopamine, and then,
0: the dopamine.
1: Yeah. And then after the first gla- glass, according to all the books that we have read, it's just downhill from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize because we, we get so numbed out that we think we are still happy and we're still having fun, but we are not. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking when I was going to that car and I was so tipsy, I was thinking, oh, this is what it is. Because I recognize that feeling. This is the feeling when you are having really, really good connection with other people. Yeah. So that's why I thought I was tipsy.
0: <laughs> you were doing it naturally.
1: Yeah, and I got so happy. I was so happy. I I don't know if I posted that, but I I know I talked with you about it in a in a in a Zoom because yeah. I was so overwhelmed with joy. I was just thinking, oh my god, that's not true. That you can't get get this feeling uh, that you have with the drinking when you are out socializing. You can definitely have it, and you would recognize it uh, and think you are drunk. As I thought. (laughs) I've
0: had people say it to me, Are you have you been drinking? Yeah. And I'd say, no. And they say, Well, you just seem like so tipsy and happy. And I'm like, No, it's natural Natural now. The dopamine's, you know, it's coming. It's yeah. Yeah. I've never I haven't laughed so much in the last six months as I ever did before. Yeah.
1: And there's a there's a thing that I've I'm not sure if it's true, but I really hope it is. I saw myself i got a glimpse of myself in a mirror some some sometime when i had been sober for many months and i was laughing and i was thinking oh my god i have a different laugh i have a different smile (laughs) it was like i'm not hiding anymore i'm not hiding Mm. this shame because before it was like a half it was something it was uh, crooked what do you say when it's not even it was
0: on a slant on a
1: tilt yeah and i was thinking god that is so strange this is a new uh that i'm not holding anything back but before i was holding of course i was holding back there was something there was this this shame
0: that's so true yeah honest the honesty and just being able to live with all that without all that stress anxiety worry planning yeah everything that you did around alcohol it's Mm. It relieves you, and you can just be go through life in a in a much calmer, much calmer place now. You know. But I would
1: tell you if 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 uh, if I if I had met someone a year ago or some more than that, more than a year ago, who told me that uh, before I read Alan Car, before all this happened, mm -hmm. who told me that um, you're soon going to uh, start a journey that would be so wonderful that would be so revealing that you will discover something about yourself that you never have discovered in your grown up life i would just say what what are you talking about i i just have to stop drinking what are you talking i wouldn't believe it i wouldn't understand it mm. i wouldn't I, I would think that i they came from some sect or some you know some yeah. cult some some aa meeting oh sorry sorry folks I'm just, I just have the bad, uh, I have a bad opinion about AA, but I have been there and I really want to go to AA to get to know sober people because I don't have any, I have you and uh, others in the zooms on the other side of the pond, but it's so far away. I need, I need to get to know yeah. someone, but I, I would never no. uh, believe this journey uh I would never understood it before I started on it. So I, I don't know how we can talk to other one, other people about this. I don't think they will ever get it.
0: No, and that's what you and I, you know, we knew each other in when we read the Annie Grace book, That's How I Met You. Yeah. And she said it to me in English. She explained in English what was happening to me. And I was in shock just going through the book because no one, and we've talked about this, no one had ever told us. We just believed all the marketing. It was perfectly normal. It was everywhere you turned around. It was everywhere you went, every single party function. And then Mm. I pick up this book and I read and I say, I'm in trouble. (laughs) This is what I've been doing. Oh, my God, how am I still alive? Yeah. You know it scared mm. me. It scared me.
1: Yeah, and I thought that I would, you know, it's just a, it's just a um, train. What is it? it? It's a train to hell, and I was on my way. Yeah, it, me too. And I and I was just seeing this very steep, you know, <laughs> train without any control, because my off switch is not yep. working. <laughs> yeah. And I can't, and I can't tell the off switch today you have to work. No, no, it's not like that. You can't, I couldn't decide. I couldn't decide when it should work and no luckily it worked. Uh, when I had to go to work, I don't know why. I don't know. I really don't know why, but if I had a lot of alcohol in the house and I thought that I could go to a meeting uh, sometimes I would go to a meeting in another town, or and it was not me that was the speaker, and I would drink. So I did mm-hmm. that sometimes when it was not normal work, when it was yep. a seminar or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. That that's. <laughs> I think a lot of people did that. So I did sometimes drink in the in the. But this, uh, I I never could tell when I had too much I I don't get it now and no not my um, my friends didn't get it either I remember they told me some very many years ago one friend she said to me your daughter uh, came to me and asked me if I could speak to you and say could you please not drink so much when we are in these family gatherings because we would, we would, uh, we were uh, a gang of people who would always have these speeches. And if there was a big day, everybody had to speak uh, mm-hmm. and have all the speech. So, and one time, it uh, it there was, <laughs> it took so long time before it was my turn, and I had <laughs> been drinking so many glasses before my turn came. So when I was rising, I knew I was not, you know. I was slurring my words that that was not good so um, I remember that time and that was the time that my daughter my eldest one she got so embarrassed so that was that was hard Uh, it was um, so that was the 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 one time that my friend came to me and asked me and I was thinking oh my god what is wrong with me because I didn't I didn't have this conscious at that time i didn't understand that there, mm. there was something i couldn't uh, control no right. one or i did i hadn't you know i hadn't understood that that this was an addictive drug that did right this to me i thought it was something with about my character same I, for many 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 years i thought that of course yeah. that's what we that was what we learned you know there was something wrong with us. Yes. The others, could, yep. the others could drink and they could manage it. No one told us that this was a very, very addictive drug, almost the most addictive that we have. Maybe uh, it's only a few of these really dangerous drugs that are more addicted than uh, alcohol, isn't it? I think maybe Absolutely. cocaine, cocaine mm. or something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. There's only a couple. There's only. Yeah. But I like you. I truly believed. And I used to say to people, when I just when I decide to stop, I'll just stop. I truly believed that I could just stop. I didn't realize the actual substance itself was the addictive thing. Not, I yeah. thought it was me, and it was yeah. up to me to decide. It wasn't up to me to decide in the end, no. and that's what no. I learned. Like yeah. did you, yeah.
1: Mm. And I also believe that uh, anyone could be, you know, an alcoholic if you drink, heavily enough exactly and long enough what i say yep so, so I, I know this is controversial and i know that many people don't believe this but well well i i think well maybe some of us are more um now we get to this word and i i tried to practice for days but i can't say it Vul- vulnerable
0: Vul- vulnerable it's okay <laughs> it's all right I'm, I'm here to help
1: yeah so some of us are maybe more sensitive. I can use the word sensitive. That I can say. Yes. Very yes. good pronunciation. Um, so I think I was uh, like many, I think when I read uh, read the post at the app, I see that we there's a lot of people who are very um, sensitive or had, uh, you know, they have had um, experiences in their lives that probably have uh, made them more sensitive to this drug i think mm-hmm. that's what absolutely. i think. So absolutely so i agree i think that uh thank god for gabo Mate and the likes and the, mm-hmm. the people like him he has really put a light on this trauma uh, yep. Thing and I childhood
0: think, trauma and everything. Yeah, you
1: don't, yep. yeah, you don't have to have a big, you know, nope. dramatic accident to call it the trauma. It's, it's not the, it's not the thing that happened. It's how you process it, or, or um, if you were little enough, then maybe you couldn't process it. So that's when it's stuck in your body as a, as a implicit memory, so that you have to work on it. So this is what I'm very concerned about now that I have to work on. I should work on why did I drink in the first place? Not maybe from day one, because I think it was like a a innocent uh, experimental thing. And also with my friends, everybody was drinking a little bit. But after some time, I would be the one that drank very, very much compared to my mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. so i have yeah the, the, especially after i quit i have been thinking a lot of why did i why did i drink and uh, gabo Mateo often says that it's not alcohol that is the problem it's the pain so you have to ask why the pain and then um so i think i had a um i had a pain it was not really in it was not in the forefront, so right. I didn't real I didn't really re- realize it. It was almost under my radar, but I know that I had a, a sadness. Um, in in school, they called they always called me. I was so serious as a little girl, hmm. as a as a teenager. I was so serious and so mature. They were wrong. I was really sad. Yeah, and I think yeah. I, I was sad because I had a, uh, I didn't have this really good contact with, uh, with my father. I don't blame him. Uh, he's dead now. And I, I, I don't really blame him. But he was, he was um, raised of a father with, where this was also a problem. So he didn't know better. He raised me and my siblings like he was being raised. And that was with a very distant father who, who was only occupied with his work. He was never present. If he was home, he wasn't there at all. He was mm. just occupied with his work. That was his. That was my grandfather. He was a doctor, and my father was the same. And he didn't know anywhere. Anywhere. I don't want to blame him
0: no he didn't know uh, any better yeah
1: no he didn't know any better but he was also very very strict and that I would maybe blame a little bit because I think that if you are very very critical or very very hurtful as an adult maybe you should do something about it so I think he was responsible for how, how he treated us um, that way so I, I really had a very difficult relationship with him and, uh, and um, I think it made me really sad because he wasn't really interested in his children. He was, uh, mm. we annoyed him. So we had, uh, you know, everything you could want, materialistic. Everything was okay in our home. We always had food on the table, uh, much food, much of everything. But that doesn't matter if your parents are not... Uh, uh, emotionally able to give you what you need as an infant and and yeah so and also uh, my mother and father had this really difficult uh, relationship so they got got the divorce when i was 12 and uh, my father always called this a very happy divorce but i know for a fact now because i've i've um, finally realized not long ago, one year ago, I realized that, really, this divorce was really difficult
0: for us children,
1: and really sad. And uh, that was the final, what is it final? uh, Nail in the coffin, (laughs) nail in the coffin that showed us that he wasn't interested in us uh, children. So it it did something with, uh, with me, and I think also my siblings. So so I think that if you have, if you haven't had a uh, father or a mother, of course, that is interested in you and and uh, and always very distant. Uh, there is something that happens, and I think that was that's my theory today. That that was why I uh, was uh, sensitive to this drug. I think so. Yeah, and
0: Gabor Matei says that. He says Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter, Gabor Gabor Matei says that about your environment and the nurturing. You know, you can have all the materialistic things in the world, live in the biggest house, Mm -hmm. but if your parents, if you don't feel that nurturing and that love and they care and you belong Mm -hmm. and if they're distant, because I know because I've sort of experienced some of that too, it it almost takes away my worth it. You don't feel like you're worthy. Like, what is wrong with me that you don't pay me the attention? I'm your child. Yeah. It should be yeah. this unconditional love. And sometimes mm. one parent will try and overcompensate for the other. So say the father's out working, the mother might try and overcompensate. Mm. But really, mm. you want the love from, you want the equal love from the mother and the father.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what I did uh I know for a fact that this has been a problem for me because what I did was to copy my relationship with my father with every man that I met. So my right. first, my husband, yes. I, I, after being uh, with him for a year, I just realized, oh my God, this is, this is exactly the same relationship that I have with my father, but it was 10 times worse. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he had, uh, so we, he really had um, some traits that, you know, and me too, Uh, of course I was part of it, but I didn't understand fully how to solve this problem. So I tried to get help. I tried to go to therapy and I thought my theory was that I had low self-esteem. That was the problem. I could be high on you know, confidence because I was a lawyer and I could do my work very well. I was good at what I did. And I got um, lots of, and lots of uh, credit for what I did. Mm-hmm. as a, mm-hmm. But when it came to be Lisa and, and take away all the things that I did, but just- yeah, to All be, your
0: achievements, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: then underneath all that was a very unsecure, unhappy little girl and really uh with a low self esteem i think and i've never been in spite of them knowing all this i can't fix it i've tried and i've tried to get uh, in contact with therapists to because i i needed to avoid to do it again after i got divorced i was just thinking mm. about my children i i have to find someone who can help me to um so that I can do something about myself, so that I do don't do this again. I have to break this pattern, and I also I, I was also thinking I have to show my children that it's possible, so that I don't deliver the same, you know, the same pattern to them, because that's what we do. We so, deliver. So, we deliver yeah. these, uh, you know, these trauma things. We deliver it, you know, <laughs> onwards to the next generation. So that's what was very, very uh, important for me. But I never um, was thinking about uh, when I went to these uh, therapists all the time. I was never thinking about the drinking. So I think now that all this therapy, I, you know, spent so much money on it. I was doing when I was drinking heavily every weekend, messing with my brain how could I get this fixed when I was stuffing all my feelings down the throat with the red wine? But well, that's my theory uh, because I never got this fixed because I, after I divorced my husband, I met a new guy. I didn't recognize it at the first time, but then after some time, I, I suddenly realized, oh my God, I've done it again. And then it was. It lasted six years because I'm so slow. I didn't realize it. it took a long time. And then I found a new man, <laughs> just recently. <That's laughs> and that took a one and a half year before I realized I'd done the same. But he was so <laughs> clever. He just he was just hiding all these his traits. And these traits are, you know, it's like narcissistic traits and i'm the mm-hmm. codependent i i guess so i didn't realize it took one and a half year before i i realized that this man that everybody thought was so nice when when he suddenly took off his mask he was a totally different person mm. he would get ra- he was get these rages or what you call it in english rage he would yeah. that's it that's it he scared the hell of me uh, for small thing in, in in uh not important things really yeah, small yeah. things and i was yeah. thinking oh my god this is just a new sword of the same thing this is the mm-hmm. same pattern why Frank is this happened. happening why is this happening yeah. Yeah. There must be something really wrong. I haven't fixed myself. I've been working on this for years. This is not fixed. I get drawn to these... Um, uh, into this romantic uh, relationships. So now I'm thinking, oh my God, I just have to stay away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have to... <laughs> no, you no, have I to have get tried. some help my, to fix this. Yeah. My, my new theory is it was the alcohol that prevented me to get well, to get healed. So now I'm trying again.
0: Yeah, and the alcohol, you're right for all of us, because when I was talking to this gentleman that I interviewed the other day, Jay, he said that your life becomes an accumulation of trauma. So mm. trauma, I'm sorry, depending how you say trauma, trauma, but it's true it accumulates over time it doesn't go away we just push it down push it down push it down with the alcohol mm-hmm. to forget to numb the pain and yeah. I think just like alcohol does has the same effect on all of us because the process like you said it's the same for everybody just the time frame is different the substance will get you you know eventually if you drink enough that's going to happen And then we decide that we're going to quit. And we think that, oh, that's good. I've quit. Everything's great. And that's not the case at all. It's great that you stop and put the bottle down. But then all these feelings, these emotions, the trauma, and it could be emotional trauma, physical trauma. It could be just anything, experienced trauma. It could be a bad character. It could be anything, a bad accident. But it's there. And how do we heal that? Okay, I think Lisa, Fiona and I are getting kind of thirsty, so it's time for a cup of tea. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back shortly.